Bible to two passages, Romans chapter 12 and Colossians 1. Romans 12 and Colossians 1. As you know, we've been talking about what it means to be a true Christian, true spirituality. In fact, uh, we started a couple of Wednesday nights ago, really three Wednesday nights ago, in our growth groups uh, from this uh, uh, book called True Spirituality, Becoming a Romans 12 Christian. Uh, in fact, uh, it's been really, really good. Now, and on Sunday morning, I'm not just preaching from his notes, but he has inspired me. And so I'm developing notes that kind of go along with what's uh, been happening on Wednesday nights. And so just to kind of keep you in tune, let's just show the little promo one more time. Uh, and so you can get a hang of what's going on on Wednesday nights. Amen. Romans chapter 12. I hope you're there. Colossians chapter what? One. Amen. Now, here's your homework. I've been giving you homework and you just got to keep doing the homework. Your homework uh, for this month is really just devour Romans chapter 12. Let Romans 12 feed you and empower you and equip you uh, with the word and the will of God for your life. Uh, because, hey, how many of you want to be the real thing? You don't want to be a fake Christian, right? You don't want to have a false front. In fact, I, I wish I'd have brought one of those a little. There's a, uh, some fake diamonds in there in the children's church room around the tables. They're about this big around. Obviously a fake. How many of you know uh, most Christians who are living uh, kind of that false front really are obviously a fake. I don't want to be fake. I want to be the real thing, becoming a Romans 12 Christian. Uh, and your homework has been this. It's just been to devour Romans chapter 12 in fa February. Memorize at least the first three verses and get the context and begin to apply these truths in your life. I know it will change your life. It's been changing my life now for many, many years as I've been walking with the Lord. And so I want it to change your life as well. We've talked about this in our time on Sunday morning uh, here, uh, not only only in February, but the uh, month before about the real thing. And one of the thoughts was true spirituality is developed in the crucible of total surrender. That's what Romans 12, 1 is all about. What does it say? He says, I, I would that you present your bodies, what? A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable and rational service of worship. Total surrender. And we learn that total surrender to Christ is really not about what you give up. It's about what you gain. How many of you know there's great gain in surrendering everything you have to him? How many of you think heaven is much better than hell? How many of you think life is much better than death? 
How many of you think hope is much better than despair? Come on. It just makes sense to totally surrender your life to Christ. And then last Sunday, we talked about this from the second verse of Romans chapter 12. Uh, true spirituality is developed by the daily renovation of our thoughts. What does he say? He says, and don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed, what? By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We learned that our thought processes and the way we think determines where we go. Uh, and, and our inner thoughts determine our outer actions and how we've got to let God renovate our thoughts. How many of you know rotten stuff has to go? Stinking thinking has to go. If you want to be uh, in the image of Christ, you've got to let him uh, transform you. And that word transform from the Greek word, Greek word metamorphosis, let him change you from something uh, that you are to something completely new. It's like the little squiggly worm and the butterfly. How many of you would rather be the created in the image of God and, and reflect who God has created you to be? So important messages. In fact, if you've missed any of those, you can find them online at our website, cotrnorth.com. Or you can go to our, to our iTunes page. You can uh, search us out on iTunes if you want to download those uh, on, uh, on your iPad, iPod, or whatever smartphone. How many of your smartphones are much smarter than you? Oh, man. I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm a not so smart guy trying to figure out a smartphone. Uh, it still amazes me. So you do that and continue to allow the Word of God to make a difference in your life. Everybody say, Romans 12 is good for me. It really is. Now, this morning, we're going to continue talking about the real thing, becoming a genuine Christian and what true spirituality is all about. It's from verse 3, and this is it. True spirituality is developed by the discovery and development of our true identity in Christ. Let's say that together. True spirituality, come on everybody together out loud, here we go. True spirituality is developed by the discovery and development of our true identity in Christ. Say it again. True spirituality is developed by the discovery and development of our true identity in Christ. Now look at Romans chapter 12, verse three. Look what Paul says. After he says, hey, uh, you know what? Offer yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service of worship. Then he says, and don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. And then he says this, for I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, stop and look up. This is a message for everyone. For some here, it's a message specific, but I'm telling you, it's for everybody. Paul realized something, and I'm about to share it with you, that there's something that everybody deals with that everybody needs to get fixed in their life. And so look at your neighbor and say, this message is for all of us today. Listen up. It's for everybody. He said, uh, he said, for I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you. And here's what he says, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But think soberly. Everyone say, think soberly. Think soberly, for God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Father, we thank you for the capacity of your word to make a huge difference in our life. 
Let this verse and let these verses transform our lives today in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. He said we can't think of ourselves more highly than everybody. He said everybody needs to get this. You can't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but you need to think soberly. As God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. He's talking about having an honest, clear, level-headed understanding of who you are. You get it? Think soberly of yourself. Paul knew an unhealthy self-analysis would produce would would prove not only to be unproductive but destructive in our life. You see when you have an unhealthy perspective of who you are, it is not only unproductive for you, it is destructive for you. He knew it was something that would hinder you from experiencing what he had just mentioned that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In fact, today I'm going to tell you some things today that I think are, that will transform your life. That if you'll get a hold of them and begin to take hold of what I'm about to tell you, it will make an eternal difference not only in you, but in those around you. It's for everybody. This is for everybody. Everybody say it's for me too. Amen. I'm part of everybody. And so here's the big idea that you and I need to embrace this morning when we think about who we are and about the fact that all of us need to have a proper understanding of who we are. Here's the big idea. The way we think about ourselves determines how we relate to others. And true spirituality is all about relating rightly to God and others. Let's read this together out loud and read it proud. Come on, stay with me. Here we go, everybody. The way we think about ourselves determines how we relate to others. And true spirituality is all about relating rightly to God and others. Now, when you read the rest of Romans 12, you know what it's all about? You and others. And so what Paul's trying to do in this chapter, he's trying to get us rightly focused in the right direction and have an honest, sober assessment of who we are. He knew that we needed to have this tweaked in our life if we're going to make a difference in the world. And why did he know that? Let me just say it this way. There's a global identity crisis in the world. There really is. There's an identity crisis in the world. Where did it happen? It happened in Genesis chapter 1 through 3 when sin entered the world. You see, sin came along through the influence of Satan and stole our identity. There's a global identity thief in the world. Now, and he's not messing around in your trash trying to find your account number. He's not... Slipping into your computer world and finding your social security number, but he does have your number. Sin got humanity's number and there in the garden when Adam and Eve fell under the temptation of, of sin, all of humanity came under the global identity crisis there. Identity in Christ had been stolen. You see, Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says this. This is how you and I were created. We were created what? He created man in his own image. And in the image and likeness of God, he created us. See, Adam and Eve were in the likeness of that. Who they were was all wrapped up in who God was. Are you getting it? Say, I, I'm getting it. 
And sin came in and stole their identity polluted and perverted their identity. And so there's a global identity thief. That's why Paul said, everybody needs this. Everybody's got to get that. No one's exempt from this. Everyone has to understand that the reason Jesus came is to help restore us to our rightful identity as those who have been created in the image of God. Amen. Look at your neighbor. Say, just be patient with me. God's not finished with me yet. (laughs) But that's the process that we're involved in. There's a global identity crisis. There's a global identity thief that has come. Now, when you think about this identity thief and the fact that our identity in Christ has been stolen, humanity kind of, there's two extremes that, I, that I've come to. I'm sure it's not this simple, but I'm a simple guy. When, when we try to find who we are, people by and large land on either one side uh, of the fence or the other in reference to the two ex- two extremes of our how we view ourselves the first one as paul mentioned here we land on the side of being high minded we become legends in our own mind you know anybody that's a legend in their own mind i know none of you have ever been that way uh but uh, hey, just for the sake of thinking of somebody else who has, we have two extremes in our life. The first one is we're high-minded. But how many of you know the Bible says he resists the proud? In fact, those words came from Peter. Peter in First Peter chapter 5, he said, he talks about clothe yourself in humility for God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Where did he learn that? Well, you got to think about Peter. Peter was really a nobody before Jesus came into his life. You know, fishing was not the high end of the economic spectrum in his day. In fact, some theologians think that because of the way uh, the, the Jewish uh, children were raised that Peter probably flunked out of being a priest in rabbi school. And so he didn't make it in, 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 in religion. And uh, somehow, someway, he just ended up fishing because if you don't know what else to do, you go fishing, especially if you live by the Sea of Galilee. And so Peter was really a nobody before Jesus walked into his life. He probably felt like that. And Jesus walked into his life and all of a sudden gave him an identity. And his new identity was in Christ. And man, he began to follow Jesus. But before long, that sin thing slipped in and he got prideful and arrogant. He went from a nobody to a somebody. In fact, when Jesus warned them uh, that, that before the, the rooster would crow, he's going to deny. He said, I'll never do that. I can do that. I'm not going to. And he was very prideful. And in one fell swoop, he denied the Lord. And the Bible says he went out and he wept bitterly. And you know the story. Jesus walks back into his life in John 20, the 21, the resurrected Christ, puts him back into the ministry. But he has an honest assessment of who he was in Christ. He regained his identity and he wrote First Peter uh, chapter 5 that says, hey, you better watch this one. You better, God resists the proud, but he gives, you better clothe yourself in humility. Peter was high-minded. That's the nature of sin in our life. It can make us high-minded. And then the other side of the coin that Paul didn't necessarily reference here in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, but is so very clear throughout Scripture and throughout uh, experience in in dealing with people, it's being low-minded, having low self-esteem. 
being self-deprecating. But how many of you know this? Jesus taught us that we're to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. In other words, we're supposed to have a healthy perspective of who we are and not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think and also not think of ourselves more lowly than we ought to think. A lot of people have low self-esteem in this world. Now, there may be some middle ground here, but I, 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 by and large, just for my simplistic mindset, I find people fit within one, pretty much within one of these two extremes. And you know what? Neither one is right and good. Now, with Brother Chip's help, I came up with some insight about why some people are high-minded and why some people are low-minded. What is the inner motivation? What is it that causes us to fall on either side of this fence, if you will, or to let the coin fall on the side of being high-minded, becoming a legend in your own mind, or being low-minded and having low self-esteem? What is the inner motivation or reason for both of these? There's one reason for both. And here it is. Drum roll. Insecurity. Everyone say insecurity. What would move a guy to be high-minded? Why would Peter get that? Because he knew on the inside he was still the same old Peter. So he developed a high-minded perspective of himself to try to compensate for his insecurity in his own person. And of course, why would a low-minded person have low self-esteem? They are insecure about who they are. In fact, understand this today. Uh, think about Moses. Remember Moses? Now Moses, his life was broken down into three sets of 40 years. The first 40 was in Egypt. And then the next 40 was in the wilderness. 40 years out and he went from uh, being, uh, you know, high and mighty in in in. Uh, in Egypt to the lowest of lowly serving his father-in-law and taking care of his father-in-law's sheep. <laughs> Not exactly a good resume. But you know, the next 40 was spent delivering the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. Now, interesting insight about Moses. When God shows up, this is even after the burning bush experience. In other words, let me tell you something. There's a lot of good, godly Christian folk who still are insecure about who they are. He had the burning bush experience. And when God comes to him in Exodus 4 and tells him what to do, he goes, no way. Haven't you heard me talk? I'm slow of speech. You need to pick somebody else. He was insecure. His identity was, was wrapped up in his frailty. And he was insecure. And it angered the Lord. Let me tell you something. God, let me, listen, God's not blessed by your self-deprecation. God is not blessed by your low self-esteem. God is not in heaven going, you poor thing, you, and just pouring gas on the fire. 
It angered the Lord. In fact, God said to Moses, who do you think created you? Who has made the lame, the blind, and the halt? Have not I the Lord? And let me just say this. Let me throw this out. Basically, all of humanity, I'm becoming more and more a believer that all of humanity is in the middle of an insecurity identity crisis because of sin's influence in our life. We live in a sin-filled world and we're always having to battle who we are and what God wants to do in our life. But let me just say this to you today. Let me just bring you back to it. And, and hey, we could talk on this for a long time. But let me just throw a couple of things out for you this morning. Our identity, it should not be wrapped up in what we do or where we go or how much money we make or don't make or what we couldn't do or what we can't do or what we our weaknesses or our strength. Our identity must be free and understood from uh, the, the fact that we are in Christ. Everyone say in Christ. Our true identity is only found in Christ. Everyone say in Christ. Let me show you this in Romans chapter 12, verse four and five. And by the way, it's all over the New Testament. Paul understood this. You know, this is Pastor Sam's kind of pet uh, message, but hey, the reason it is, is because most people don't understand uh, who they are in Christ. That's why people are still insecure. That's why we got a lot of Christians. Listen, let me, let me tell you something. A lot of Christians who are trying to be victorious in their life, but they're not victorious. They love Jesus. They're like Moses. They, they've had a burning bush experience, but they're still all wrapped wrapped up in their insecurities and their inabilities and therefore they are stuck and unproductive. We've got to come to the place where we realize our identity is really only found in Christ. Look what he says in chapter 12, verse three and four. He says, uh, verse three, I'll repeat it. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Verse four and five. For as we are many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many, uh, so we being many are one body where? In Christ and individually members of one another. Now he just said a whole lot there, but he said, Hey, we're a part of a big family. We're a part of the body in Christ. We all, Hey, how many of you know, how many appreciate God doesn't destroy your identity. He just causes it to come forth. Hey, and your personality, we're not all automatons. Aren't you glad to that? Aren't you glad every one of you aren't like me? (laughs) Think about it. Oh, and by the way, I'm glad I'm not all just like you either, by the way. We're all individuals, but we're all a part of the family. But we're all supposed to find our identity and our destiny and our purpose in Christ. Everyone say, in Christ. Now, you know, as I've said over and over and over again, that's the biggest little word in all the New Testament because that little word, in, means in a fixed position. Now, I'm going to say it again because, hey, this is where we, uh, we're going to keep talking about it till we get it. You see, a lot of people, they get born again. 
They start trying to live the Romans 12, 1, 2, and 3 life. They lay their lives on the altar of sacrifice. They start trying to uh, let the transformation of God uh, be made real in their life by by uh, allowing him to renew their mind. And all of a sudden, uh, you begin to realize, oh, but we've got to deal with this, this uh, identity crisis that's going on. Everybody has to deal with their identity and begin to realize that your identity is not in your last name. Come on now. Your identity is in who has been. Uh, the Lord and the leader of your life and his name is Jesus but most people don't get that fixed in their life and I've said this over and over if you get fixed in him you'll get fixed about everywhere else as well if you need to be fixed you need to get fixed do you understand now here's an interesting thing about the word insecure one of the definitions for the word insecure means not firmly fixed. So our insecurities, the nature of our being, until we get fixed in Him, we'll always be insecure. Either trying to validate ourselves or whatever we may do, whether we're high-minded or low-minded. And so all of us basically are insecure. Oh, not me, preacher. I'm not ins- I know who I am. Uh-oh, he's high-minded. Hello? And so if we get fixed, we'll get fixed. Now, here's the hiccup. There's a hiccup here, and, the, and, and I've just kind of explained it. The big hiccup, and it is this. The hiccup with most Christians is not a lack of knowledge of who Christ is, but a lack of knowledge of who we are in Christ. You ask anybody in church, who is Jesus? Well, he's the son of God, bless the Lord. Who is Jesus? He's, he's the Lord of glory, hallelujah. Who is Jesus? He's the great I am. Who is Jesus? He's the lily of the valley. Who is Jesus? He's the great I am. Who is Jesus? He's, oh man, you, we all know who Jesus is, but most of us don't know who we are in him. And that's the big hiccup. Are you with me? And until we understand who we are in him and we began to let Jesus lead us back into the true identity of who we are in him, we will always have a polluted perspective of ourselves, and we will be insecure and we will, we will find ourselves either on the high minded side or the low minded side and never discover who we are in him. Are you with me? What did Hosea say about knowledge? He said, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Let me just throw this out. It's not in your notes. It's not in the PowerPoint. I got a feeling the devil doesn't really care how much you know about Jesus. And he may not as care as much as that, that you know him personally. But let me tell you something he doesn't want you to know. He doesn't want you to know who you are in him. Are in Christ. That's the big hiccup with most Christians. That's why most Christians stumble and fumble and flop and foam around and never become productive in the kingdom of God. Now, let me show you a couple of verses. If you go back to Romans 12, 3, where he said, think soberly. Everyone say, think soberly. You know what that means? Exercise your mind. 
with sound, righteous thoughts. You see, what I told you a few moments ago uh, about what we're talking about is, hey, we've got to discover and develop our true identity in Christ. Everyone say discover and develop. This is where, hey, when you realize, hey, if I discover who I am in Christ and I began to develop my identity in him, hey, things will begin to change in my life. And that think soberly in Romans 12, 3, it means exercise your mind with sound, righteous thoughts. Everyone say that. Exercise your mind with sound, righteous thoughts. Now, I'm not very good at exercise, as you can tell. Some of you are. You know, Ryan plays tennis all the time. You know, Trent looks like, you know, the monster man or whatever. I'm just not, you know, I kind of lean on that passage of Scripture. Bodily exercise profits a little bit. But godliness is profitable in all things. Listen, let me tell you something. We not only need to exercise our, our bodies, but we've got to exercise our mind. With sound, righteous thoughts. That means, Paul was saying in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, that, that how you think about yourself is your responsibility. You've got to think soberly. You've got to exercise your mind rightly. Now, I'm just going to show you this in Colossians. Turn over to Colossians. This just blows me away. I've just got to, man, I get all fired up when I think about this. Because, listen, you can't sit around and let the world program the way you ought to think about yourself. (coughs) Amen. Are you in Colossians? Colossians chapter 1. Let me just show you what Paul's trying to do. In fact, when we get over to Colossians chapter 2 and chapter 3, he's talking, he wants us to begin to think soberly about who we are in Christ. And I wish I could just go through the whole thing. But look in verse 13. Speaking of Jesus, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed or transferred us into the kingdom of his son, of the son of his love. Stop. Hey, let me tell you something. Hey, sin has no power over my life anymore. What sin robbed from me in the garden Jesus restored for me on the cross my identity is found he delivered me from the power of darkness and conveyed me into the kingdom of his son of his love in whom there it is in Christ in Jesus in whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sin you see Jesus dealt with the sin problem and the sin problem is why we're all insecure about who we are the sin problem was taken care of on Calvary's cross and we've got to begin to think soberly about that thank you Jesus for the power of the cross thank you Jesus that sin has no influence over my life. Sin will not lead me to be high-minded. Sin will not lead me to be low-minded. And wherever I'm at right now, God is going to begin to help me think clearly about who I am and help me discover my new identity in Christ because of what he has done for me on the cross. He, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And oh, by the way, we were all created in his image. That ought to exercise your mind a little bit. Now, look in chapter 2. Just jump in in verse 6. 
As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy or empty deceit, according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Catch this. For in Him, there it is, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him. Somebody say amen. Who is the head of all principality and power. What's he saying? Man, who you are is all wrapped up in him. Amen. That ought to exercise your mind with some sound righteous thoughts. Look in Colossians chapter 2. Or pardon me, Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 and 2. If then you were raised with Christ... Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Now catch verse 2. Set your mind. Everyone say set your mind. It's the same word as in Romans 12, 3. Exercise your mind. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Set your mind. Everybody say set your mind. That's where my thoughts are. I'm exercising my mind with sound, righteous thought that is born in me through what the Word of God says about who I am. Now catch the next verses in Colossians 3. Oh gosh, there's a lot here. Let me jump down to verse 10. And have put, and having put on, everyone say put on, having put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Now, now let me just kind of break this down for you. And having put on the new man, there's your new identity, which is renewed, we learned that word means re- renovated, in knowledge. It's renovated by the knowledge. Now, everyone say knowledge. Now, there's a couple of kinds of knowledge in Scripture. There's gnosis. That's just the, uh, the Greek word for knowledge. It means you got, you got some facts and figures in your head. There's some gnosis. But then there's epignosis. Everyone say epignosis. That's a full understanding and a discernment and an insight. It's an inner knowing. How many of you have an epignosis that Jesus loves you? It's not just here. It's right here, right? It's Valentine's Day. Come on. How many of you have a, a more than a gnosis about your spouse? You've got an epignosis about, about your spouse or about, hey, listen, hey, I've got an epignosis. I've got an in, inner understanding and a knowing. What's he saying here? And you put on the new identity, which is renovated and restored by the epignosis, the inner understanding and knowing that is in accordance with what? The image, the likeness or resemblance of him who created him. I've got, when I put on the new man, I began to get an, an epignosis of who I am in him. It's not just here, it's here. See, the hiccup is most of us never get that far. We get saved, maybe even filled with the Holy Spirit, and then frustrated because we don't keep growing into true spirituality and come to the place where we realize, hey, I've got a new identity in Him. 
It's not what the devil fed me. How many of you know the devil's been setting most of us up about who we are for years and years and years and years? For some of you, he used family and friends to tell you how no good you were. For some of you, he just used your mistakes against you to let you know how no good you really are. He's been setting you up to keep you from ever knowing who you really are in Christ. Think about that. Because he knows if you discover and begin to develop your new identity in him, the transformation of God in your life begins to be fully realized. As long as he can keep you either high-minded or low-minded, he's got you right where he wants you. So my question to you is how have your thoughts about who you are affected your relationship with God and others? It's inevitable. And so this morning, we've got to begin to think soberly. And if you're here today and you got one of those low self-esteems, you're always singing pity party and wanting everybody to join you. And you look at yourself and you think you're toe jam. Come on now. God's not blessed by that. Or if you think you are somebody and you're really just a nobody without him, God's not blessed by that. He resists the proud. So all of us here today, hey, remember what I told you? Paul said everybody needs this on some level in their life. Everybody's by nature insecure because of what sin has stolen from us. And our security is found in Him and who we are in Him. We're individually members together. We've got our individuality. We've got our personality. But all of our identity should be wrapped up in Him. You were created in the image of God, in His likeness. And Jesus came to restore you to your rightful identity in Him. Let's stand together today.